This is Live Wired in Calgary. Hey everyone, welcome to the August edition of Live Wired in Calgary. I'm your host, Darren Krause, editor at LiveWireCalgary.com. We're back this month for Lucky Episode 13 right here at CJSW 90.9 FM. And the show was recorded in studio at the University of Calgary campus on traditional Treaty 7 land. I think we've got a really good show in store for you this month. Now, I am biased, but uh, at the end of it, you get to be the judge. We talk with Calgary artist Katie Green as she finished up work on the public art project along Calgary's Riverwalk in the East Village. We've got a quick bit on the push for an extension to the cycle track along 5th Street Southwest. And I've also included a portion of an interview I did with well-known Calgary media personality, meteorologist David Spence. He just celebrated 40 years in broadcasting, and on this show, we talk about the change in weather forecasting over the past four decades and how that's influenced the delivery of weather reports over the years. All that, and on your radar this month, so stick around. I'm positive you'll enjoy the show. Check out Livewire Calgary on social media, on Twitter at Livewire Calgary, on Instagram at Livewire underscore Calgary, and like us on Facebook. I came across this first story in a somewhat auspicious way. It was a couple of months ago when I spoke originally with Calgary artist Mark Vasquez McKay about another artist who was painting over a mural that had community significance down near the Calgary Drop-In and Rehab Centre along Dermot Baldwin Way. Vasquez McKay was shocked that he hadn't been contacted about the new project nor consulted on the new piece. That piece that Vasquez McKay had been a part of was a mural done in part by members of the Calgary Drop-In and Rehab Centre, including one client, Ryan Delve, who was subsequently murdered steps away from that mural he helped create. So there was a history to this piece, and Vasquez McKay felt that certain elements of it should be protected. Fast forward a couple of months and Vasquez McKay was able to sit down with the artist behind the new mural and they incorporated part of the prior mural's history into the new one. The artist behind the new mural is Calgary-born Katie Green. I initially contacted Katie Green at the time of doing the original story. We weren't able to connect and instead I was forwarded over to the DI and the Calgary Municipal Land Corporation for further comment. Thankfully, I was able to catch up with Katie about a week ago to not only talk about what transpired with the previous mural, but also to talk about the completion of the entire 16 installation project along Calgary's Riverwalk. Here's a portion of my interview where we talked about the creative drive behind the bridge collection in East Village. Let's talk about the other 16. Yeah. Okay, so we have these other 16 and they kind of decorate the river walk Mm -hmm. what can people expect when they go and they see and they kind of walk through and experience some of these installations so there's 16 surfaces there's three large bridge abutments along the river walk Mm -hmm. 
there's one that people often miss it's just past reconciliation bridge and then there's uh, two washrooms and one maintenance shed out front of the Simmons building and all of the sides of those structures have images on them so each surface there was 13 participants and so some participants got two images just based on how they fit into the site um, but each surface is an image of one of the participants in their mask during the workshops each individual um, I brought a series of paintings into the workshops that I have I started creating about a year and a half ago at a residency and they're sort of these surreal characters little portraits and they don't always make sense and they're kind of made up and they're sort of androgynous and they're not really human but they're 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 fantastical in a way which I love and and with that um, when I started making these portraits I noticed like a lot of individuals were looking at them and getting really strong emotional responses. Like, whoa, that one makes me feel this. Or two people side by side would be like, wow, that one, I'm just so drawn to that one. And another person would be like, that one makes me really uncomfortable. Like, and I liked that tension and I liked, I wanted to know why, you know? Whoa, like, why is that happening? So anyways, I brought these paintings into the workshop and each participant selected one and we, we did a whole entire workshop just about why, and just about what is this character, how does this character relate to you? If this character could speak to you, what would it say? Um, where does this character live? Does it have a name? Sort of these, these questions that, you know, would actually really get to the, to the core of someone's story in a way that's not so like, what's your story? Who are you? It's actually like, it's less confrontational and it's a little more gentle and creative and, it can be, depending on the person, more playful. And there's a little bit more of a permission to go there in a different way. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, and then those paintings were printed at a larger format, and each individual made their own cardboard structure for their mask and then paper mached their portrait onto their mask. So they, they did all of it. They built all of them. And then I photographed each individual in East Village in their mask as it related to their story. And that's what you'll expect to see. So each surface has, it's a combination of wheat paste and paint. Um, so each surface is these final images of these people. And so are you hoping when passersby see these masks that they sort of experienced that same feeling as the participants did, the, the feeling of, of uncomfortability right. or the feeling of playfulness or, or interest yeah. as they see those, di those different masks. Yeah, I think so. And I think that that's sort of inevitable. Like, I think that's just what comes with the way that these portraits read. I think, yeah, like, I hope that there's, you know, when I, the biggest word is like, oh, that's so creepy. That's like what I'm hearing a lot. And it's not like that's like, oh, it's, it's, I don't like it. It's just like, whoa, that's creepier. It's like weird or different, or I'm not really sure what to think about it. And I think even just the nature of someone in a mask is a little discombobulating because you don't, when you hide a human's face, like the facial recognition, or I think the way that humans just relate to one another, when you don't have that face, it's sort of like, yeah, discombobulating or strange. And so I think a lot of people are experiencing that, but it's not like that reaction is creating this like, I'm gonna write it off right away. It's more, what it's doing more is like, whoa, I don't understand this. I've never seen anything like this. What's, 
what's happening, you know? And I've had quite a few people just tell me like, yeah, when I went down to the site, like I was just like, yeah, Calgary, this is awesome. And that's like, it's not like they were like, I like it or don't like it. They're like, yes, this is different and this is strange and this is challenging and it's getting me to ask questions and I don't know if I like it or not, but I'm interested in it. Um, and then some people are like right away, just like, this is amazing. Like, I love it. Other people are like, no, like why, why would anyone put that along the river walk? And that, but that's like, that's the nature of public work. I mean, you can't really, that's just totally out of, out of my control, but. So when you conceptualize the project and now you have it implemented or it's, it's done, what do you hope people walk away with when they, when they participate or interact with, with these creations? Yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about that and I think what I hope people will walk away with is a, is a general curiosity. I don't think a lot of people can walk by that installation and not like have it stop them. And I, and I don't even mean that in a way that's like, I made a piece of work that no one can't look at. But it's like, it's actually what those images ask of you is sort of to, to stop because they're, they're um, loud in their nature. And I think that, that, yeah, I just hope that Calgary would show a curiosity and an openness to change and an openness to something that is unfamiliar. Because I think from there, if, if there wasn't that curiosity and there wasn't that openness, it could be just a piece of work you just maybe don't even notice or like, oh, I didn't even see it. Oh, I biked by, I didn't even actually, see. oh, there's a, there's a piece of work there I didn't notice. And it might be because it's just something that's really beautiful or, um, you know, something that's really beautifying a space that maybe isn't so like conceptually engaging, but when it gets people to stop, then it's like, what are those questions? And hopefully an individual would be like, why is that creepy to me? Or why does it give me that reaction? And how does that relate then to my narrative and the way I relate to the world and the way I see things? And I know that that's asking a lot, but I think that, that it's possible especially if you're with another person and then you can start like, oh really I don't I don't know I wasn't getting that or I was feeling this or um, you know and there's just so much possibility there which I think is exciting after this interview with Katie it got me thinking if the public were to have more of these types of conversations to, to sort of get an understanding, a better understanding of the premise behind some of the public art designs in the city, would they be more receptive to seeing it? And I guess through that, would they be more receptive to public money being spent on it? I'm not certain. Um, what was interesting, though, was me personally being able to see the art on the Riverwalk and being able to walk through it with Katie. We did take a walk along the Riverwalk. It was raining that day. She had a lovely little Looney Tunes umbrella that she had brought with her. But what was interesting was, was being able to see behind uh, the mask, so to speak, uh, and, and understanding where she was coming from conceptually. And it actually brought a lot more value to the piece um, than had I probably just walked by it alone. So maybe we need to have more conversations like this. Maybe the artists need to be 
uh, a little bit more open, a little bit more accessible about some of the art that they are doing. Uh, at any rate, it was a great story. It was a fun interview for me to do, um, and it really tied the loop up for that whole story. Uh, if you do want to read the whole story, of course, you can check it out at livewirecalgary.com. We've got a quick piece here on a petition that has popped up recently calling for an extension to the 5th Street Southwest Cycle Track so it can connect to the Elbow River Pathway system in the city's Beltline. Behind it is cycling advocate Kevin Schlock. You can find him on Twitter at It's a Kev. Here's our conversation. It all started, like it just started seemingly out of the blue on a, not this most recent Friday, but the Friday before. Um, it was a Friday before I was going to leave on my trip. I was checking Twitter and I saw somebody, I saw Evan, Evan Woolley say something about Fifth Street on it, about how um, you'd like to see a cycle track on or something like that. So I responded offering my, like, hey, whatever you need to help, right? And I'll help. And he said, well, if you could do us a petition, you're two for two with them already as far as getting infrastructure built with uh, with projects. So 42nd and uh, in Manchester, yeah, 42nd eh? and, yeah. then, and then the three block extension on 12. Right. So, um, at first, I was like, oh, good, this means I'm probably due for a failure, right? But I was like, it's like well, I'm, I mean, I'm leaving in a day, but let's see how much I can get done in the rest of today. And uh, so I, I contacted a couple of friends, some who I thought could look after things while I was away and also help get the ball rolling on this. Reached out just to 10 local businesses, and I think almost all of them took the petition. And then as soon as, um, it's basically, it was just that day, it was just like, we're, you know, it's a Friday. That's when you release news that you don't want anyone to hear, it seems like, right? That's when you drop arena news on, on people yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> um, no, by that Friday, we did, we, we got our petition to a bunch of businesses on 4th. Um, it just so happened, like, because it was also my birthday, so I was celebrating my birthday at one of the breweries, and they took the petition, and now it's been circulated around a bunch of the places. Because in the Barley Belt, they recognize the importance of separated cycling infrastructure, and that's a popular route to get there. So, so we've got, I think, four breweries in that area, and then a bunch of businesses around here. For like, I sent you the list, but there's like sure. Shelf Life Books, and I Love You Coffee Cafe, Broken City, I think Mech. Um, here has it, they just need the manager to approve it. Um, and so a lot of these things, like whenever I give someone a petition, like like today, like on a weekend, um, we usually get it in the store until the, until the Monday. But we've already picked up about 250 signatures, and that's not including the ones that are still sitting there on store counters. Oh, the belt liner as well has it. And and so what is it for? Because mm. correct me if I'm wrong. So so Second Street Southwest, that's yep. the one that has the bike. Uh, yeah, yeah. That they're, and, and they're working on it. I know that I've talked with Peter Oliver about mm-hmm. that one in the past, about them going back and forth. Yes. But a lot of people have said that we need the cycle track extension on, on 5th Street Southwest. Yeah. Um, well, tell me about that. Because well, 5th right now just drops you off right on 17th Avenue with nowhere to go. And especially if you're heading towards the pathway, it, it kind of spits you out on the wrong side of the road. So. It's a, it's a conflict area in a sense that there's you're going to see bikes going through the crosswalk and riding on the sidewalk, going on the wrong side of the road, or there's that green box, which I've noticed just today they've already shrunk, um, that bikes can go in and turn, but there's almost always cars parked in it. That's probably why they shrunk the green box. Cars didn't learn how to use it, so get rid of it. Right. Um, so it's a tricky area there already. It's incredibly heavy, heavily trafficked. Trafficked. Trafficked? Trafficked. 
traffic. Yep. Yeah, especially during rush hour and stuff, right? So um, I mean, there's already a lot of bikes on it, and there's and it's but it, it just gets more narrow as you get down it. Um, it's one of those ones where we don't want to wait for something to happen before we act on this one. Like I think we've given the city enough time. Like. It's, a, it's an obvious connector to get to the pathway. Nothing's been done about it since the cycle track had got built. So, I mean, we're motivated um, to try to see something there. And if the councillor asked us to get signatures, if that's what's going to help them get this done, then we're willing to do that. It's and especially there's that you know that corner like just before the Safeway. Okay. Like yeah. that is other than other than on 42nd. That is by, that is the closest I've come to being hit. Like I've, like I've, I've, I've had parts where like if I hadn't hammered on the brakes a bus would have sideswiped me or, or an SUV like it's a terrible corner there's it's it's an area like unfortunately it seems like it's asking for an incident but um, just trying to be proactive rather than reactive and so what exactly do you want you want it from 17 so so is, mm -hmm. is there a cycle track on the on the south side of 17th Ave or, um, or how does that no, all work? It, like, right now on 17th, that's where it ends. There's nothing There's nothing extending even from, well, there's nothing at all on 2nd. That's just Cheryl the whole way. Right. But the only real north-south cycle track right now on the belt line is 5th, and it just goes from 12th to 17th. Right. Or sorry, no, not to 12th. It does go all the way, well, it doesn't go all the way to Eau Claire. I think it stops at like 3rd Avenue, right? Okay. So it goes to 3rd Avenue and it goes to 17th and then it stops. And it's like, Statistically, uh, by, with the bike counters, it looks like the most used corridor in the entire downtown cycle like network. And then it just stops when you're like three minutes ride away from a pathway, right? And there's where is the nearest pathway? Oh, the Elbow River pathway would be on oh. along Elbow Drive, okay. which would be uh, one block past 26. So it's like it's 10 blocks, a 10 block stretch. I was able to get a little bit of information from the City of Calgary, and they did say that that 5th Street Southwest extension to the Elbow River Pathway was on their long-term list of projects for the Cycle Track Network. However, uh, they are focused on the 2nd Street Southwest project at this time, uh, so it, it might delay the 5th Street Southwest project a little bit longer. They are going to provide a list of their priorities uh, for the Cycle Track Network uh, in November. That's the information that I got. So we'll see how this uh, plays out and whether or not the the petition, um, depending on how many signatures it gets, whether it could expedite further construction. Okay, we'll start on your radar off this month with Pride Week and the upcoming Pride Parade. Uh, that goes Sunday, September 1st from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the Calgary downtown area. For more information on that and all of the other Pride events, you can visit calgarypride.ca. There is actually a lot going on in September uh, along with Pride that weekend. Fiesta Filipino will go ahead in Olympic Plaza from Friday, August 30th to Sunday, September 1st. We've got the Cirque du Soleil Lucia. The, that show is also in Calgary in September. Uh, Glowfest goes ahead at, on September 13th at the Marquis Beer Market. We also have the Calgary Fall Home Show that goes September 19th to September 22nd down at the BMO Center. One of the interesting events, uh, it's a big, big ticket event. We've got the Canadian Country, Country Music Association Awards. Those will go ahead at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome on Sunday at 5 o'clock p.m. And would you believe it? 
it's already getting to be hockey season. We've got the Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames. They are set to battle in preseason action on September 28th. And of course, we've got a couple of other news-related items. Uh, School, it begins uh, right away here in the next week uh, for both public and Catholic school boards. And of course, the Calgary City Council gets back from its summer hiatus. There's still some things to do this summer, so get out there and enjoy it. Check out Livewire Calgary on social media, on Twitter at Livewire Calgary, on Instagram at Livewire underscore Calgary, and like us on Facebook. Our final story this month comes as a sort of a confluence of a couple of things that happened. Uh, first off, I, I bought a subscription to Discover Magazine um, through my son's school fundraising program. And, uh, and in the first issue that I received... There was an article about weather and how weather forecasting has changed so much and how it can be so accurate. Along the same time, I actually noticed a tweet from CTV meteorologist David Spence, and he said he was quietly mentioning that it was his 40th year in broadcasting. So I got to thinking, well... What better way to bring those two things together than talk to David Spence about his career and some of the things that have gone on, some of the things that he's seen, but also how weather forecasting has changed uh, over the years. So I'm just giving you a portion of this interview where we do talk about the weather aspect of things, Um, but you can listen to the full interview at livewirecalgary.com, and you can also read the feature that I produced on David Spence. But here is our conversation about weather forecasting over the past four decades. How would you describe, if there was one way that you could describe the way that it changed from back when you first started delivering forecasts to today, um, what would that be? Well, as I mentioned uh, back then, we were reporting what Environment Canada told us to say, basically. Now we do it ourselves. Uh, But back then, the technology was so much different. I mean, now we have all these tremendous... um, computer models, we have access to it. I mean, I do my preparation at home. You know, we have so much access to all the information. No, we have so much access to much of the information, not all of it, but much of it. Uh, Whereas back then we were relying on other people to tell us what to say. We would go on the air. um, We didn't have the computer graphics that we have now. I stood behind a plexiglass map of the country and drew backwards on the map. Big H's and big L's and fronts and that sort of thing, which we barely even use anymore because there are so many better ways to tell the story than to say, okay, there's a high-pressure system over here, a low-pressure system. Nobody knows about that. But anyway, um, and we, uh, we ran a satellite loop that, came, that was delivered to us in the afternoon. Now we run a live satellite loop. Well, this one was on videotape, and it was probably recorded at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We're showing it at 6 o'clock at night. So it's out of date when it gets on the air. We didn't have the ability to show radar. The graphics, I mean, the the graphics were very, very simple compared to what they are now. It was so... 
primitive, I guess, by today's standards. But I mean, the bottom line is whether you have today's technology or the technology from 1981, you're telling a story. And if you can tell that story effectively, that's all that matters, really, as long as people understand what you're talking about and what they can expect with the weather based on what you say. That said, we missed a lot back then that we don't miss today. The technology, the back-end technology has improved so much. Uh, this, the, the simulations of the atmosphere and the future atmospheric developments and movement are so good now compared to what they were that we rarely miss any major weather events. I can't even think of the last one we missed completely. Whereas back in the 80s, well, that surprise snowstorm that I told you about earlier, right? Those kinds of things happen that don't happen today. And so, would you say that, I, I mean, generally speaking, I, what I'm hearing from you is that our weather forecasting today, that would be the biggest change, is that it's more accurate. Way more accurate, yeah, right. yeah. Um, it's often said that a, a, a five-day forecast today is as accurate as a three-day forecast was 10 years ago that every five years or so you improve by a year. Right. And that's probably true, but I think the I think the accuracy levels are improving even faster now. The pace of improvement is faster. Right. And so are you taking into account all of the different variables, everything from, you know, ground temperature, you know, wind speed, you know, the humidity. You're, you're taking all of that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's all like, you know, different forecast models that you can put it into and they're receiving different inputs all the time yeah. and the forecast is evolving constantly. Yes. Um, air pressure, wind, temperature, temperature at all levels of the atmosphere, wind direction at all levels of the atmosphere, um, water vapor, the amount of water vapor in the air, all that kind of stuff factors into how the weather changes. And you have to look at all that. Plus around here, terrain is a big influence as well. An easterly wind is going to give you thunderstorms in the foothills in the summer. It's going to give you snow in the foothills in the winter. Uh, because you know, the terrain is upslope at that point. So there's a lot to consider. And yes, there are a lot of different models. Um, I look at about 10 of them every day. And try to... You know, to take each day of the forecast, look at your 10 models and try to come to a consensus of what the model is saying, and then you've got or what all the models are saying, I guess, and then you've got to determine whether that's realistic, given what's going on now, given the terrain, etc., etc., etc. Models are much better than they used to be. I mean, when I started using them, you'd assume the world was flat, right? Uh, now they are much better in resolving terrain issues, and, which are very, very important in this area. <clears throat> so, because of that, and because the resolution of the models is so much tighter, I mean, you, you'd have 100 kilometer uh, resolutions, which meant they would divide the atmosphere into 100 kilometer squares and forecast the weather in each of those squares. Well, now we're down to four kilometers, and in, I think within a year, we're going to see two and a half kilometer resolutions done on a routine basis. So the tighter those resolutions, the, the better the forecast is going to be. 
So Calgary has this reputation of, you know, wait 10 minutes and the forecast will change. So does every other city. Okay, yeah. that, that's where I wanted to go. So, so I mean, it, it doesn't matter that we're in Calgary. We, we're not special when it comes to well, we're weather forecasting. We're special in that we're adjacent to a mountain range, mm -hmm. and that gives us unique characteristics that most other places don't have. But yes, the weather can change rapidly no matter where you are. Right. I mean, that is a saying for Calgary, but if you were to move to Toronto, they would say the same thing, right? Sure. But they've got a lake right beside them. You know, every city has its own, or every location has its own microclimates, its own uh, quirks, if you will, that affect the weather. And so, given that, um, has the role of the, the TV meteorologist or, or the public meteorologist changed? Because you're on social media a lot. A lot of it is getting that information out yeah. in, in any way you can. So you're, you're continuing to tell that story. Has it changed a lot in that way? Yeah, it used to be what it was television, pretty much all by itself. You put your message out there and people came to you. People don't come to you anymore. You have to go to where they are. So they're on here. This is my biggest competitor now. Paul Dunphy is not my biggest competitor. This is my biggest competitor. And you have to go to where the people are, no matter where they are. So that's why social media has become so big. And it's unfortunate that not everybody, I don't think everybody's using it properly. And that's kind of unfortunate because if you're not going to where the people are, they're not going to come and find you. So you've got to maintain a presence to get your message out. It was really great to be able to sit down with David Spence. Uh, again, we only got a portion of that interview. For the full interview, visit livewirecalgary.com. I would like to thank David Spence, along with Katie Green and Kevin Schlauch, for talking with me this month uh, to bring you these stories on Live Wired in Calgary. Thank you so much for joining me again this month, folks. We'll be back again in September. Like I mentioned earlier and on your radar, take some time to enjoy what's left of summer, and we'll catch you back here again in a month.